This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious lolly Focus Pops or lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hello, and welcome to The Bunker. I'm Ahir Shah. Families and businesses across the country are feeling the weight of increased energy costs, and there have even been threats of blackouts this winter. Fossil fuels exacerbate climate change, and renewables face the problem of intermittency. This is where, proponents of it would argue, nuclear power comes in, but it remains controversial. With me to discuss nuclear power is Francis Livens, Professor of Radiochemistry at the University of Manchester and Academic Director of the Dalton Nuclear Institute. Francis, welcome to The Bunker. Pleasure. Now, First of all, Francis, I, I know that any layman's answer will necessarily be limited, but what is nuclear power? How does it work? Okay, so so nuclear power as we use it uh, is based on the splitting of very heavy atoms, uh, almost always uranium, uh, which you can mine out of the ground and you can turn into fuel for nuclear reactors. And in the conditions in a reactor, uranium atom will split and in splitting, it liberates a lot of energy. That energy is manifest as heat. You can take that heat out of the reactor and you can use it to make steam, which drives a turbine, which gives you electricity. So, so that that's basically what a nuclear reactor is. It's just a, a particular heat source. A gas power station burns gas for the heat. A nuclear power station breaks uranium atoms for its heat. That, that was genuinely a really good explanation. Thank you. Now... We do have nuclear power in this country at the moment. Nuclear currently accounts for about 15% of the UK's energy supply, and the government is hoping to increase it to about a quarter by 2050. Now, is that a realistic target? Realistic, yes. Ambitious, very, because the majority of the reactors we currently have are coming to the end of their working lives. It's a matter of replacing the nuclear we've got and the same amount again, plus as we decarbonize, so we move from, say, petrol and diesel-fueled vehicles to electric vehicles, actually electricity demand is going to go up. So 15% of demand now is really quite a lot less than 25-ish percent of the demand in 20, 30 years' time. You spoke there about the age of our existing reactors, and I know that a big issue 
uh, certainly that people think about a lot with nuclear power is maintenance and decommissioning. I know that, for example, in France at the moment, because of the sheer age of their nuclear fleet, there are loads of plants that are down for maintenance. And it's turned it from its usual state of being a huge energy exporter to potentially being an energy importer. Uh, what's the current state of our nuclear fleet and how big a problem is stuff like decommissioning and nuclear waste that people worry about? Okay, so our current nuclear fleet comprises 14 what we call advanced gas-cooled reactors, uh, some of which have over the last couple of years actually come to the end of their lives and stopped generating, uh, the rest of which will come to the end of their working lives over the next few years. And we have one pressurised water reactor, Sizewell B, which has a much longer life expectancy because it's actually a much younger plant. Basically, unless we do something pretty radical, nuclear will be a trivial contribution to UK generation in the future. As regards decommissioning, it's a huge challenge. And the UK has been a nuclear nation for 75 years. Uh, and its focus for a lot of that time was not really on managing the back end of what happens afterwards. Um, the focus was on generation, on fuel cycle, and in the early years, indeed, on, on military applications of nuclear. So we have this very substantial, what's called legacy, uh, from our nuclear activities. And that is that is a big challenge to clean up. Uh, we have a thing called the Nuclear Decommissioning Authority, which spends you know, three billion pounds a year cleaning up that legacy, and it will continue to spend huge amounts of money for many decades into the future. But that's really reflecting the accumulation of wastes over many decades. So you say that this is the accumulation of a lot of waste over a lot of time from older plants. But of course, if we are going to spread this much wider and, as you say, to increase it to a quarter of the capacity that we'll need for electricity in 2050, it's going to be a, a huge scale. To what extent is the waste a problem from both a financial and a safety perspective? Okay, I mean, I think there are a number of things. First is that, you know, these days, you won't get permission to build a reactor unless you know exactly what you're going to do with the waste and how you're going to dismantle it at the end of its life. And also, you will have to demonstrate that you are putting money aside during its operating life to cover the costs of cleaning up afterwards. So that's a, a very different attitude from what's gone on historically. And the second thing is that actually, compared with the first and second generation plants, new plants are much more compact. They produce much less waste. So you compare early reactors where the fuel had to be chemically treated and that generated waste products and byproducts, which are, are very problematic. Modern fuels can simply be used in a reactor and, if you want, just disposed of as waste without further significant treatment. So it becomes a much simpler, much more compact process. Oh, wow. Okay. So it's like over the sort of last half century, if you're talking about a reactor that was commissioned in, say, 1972 versus 2022, we're comparing apples with oranges. It, yes, in, in many ways, that's true. That There's a huge amount of engineering development that's gone on over decades. And a, a modern reactor really bears very little resemblance to 
um, a 1972 reactor in the same way that a modern car bears very little resemblance to a 1972 car. So I instinctively am in favour of nuclear power. I know that there is a certain degree or even a lot of opposition. And you, you can't deny that there is a PR problem, uh, perhaps. Um, where do you think that comes from the Cold War, the Simpsons? Uh, and how much of it is justified, really, in the contemporary world, in your opinion? No, I, I mean, I think, yeah, I think it's actually more than a PR problem, um, because I think I think nuclear has not explained itself. We have historically often had a very patronising attitude. You know, I'm a clever guy. I can run a nuclear reactor. Trust me, I'm a doctor, that sort of stuff. And And we've never gone out to explain the benefits of nuclear. And yeah, you know, there's, there's Chernobyl, the real thing, Chernobyl, the TV program, The Simpsons. There's a lot of scary stuff out there, and nuclear technology can be dangerous, but it can also be managed. And we've never, I think, we've not engaged properly in that. And it's not a matter of educating or persuading a wider public. For me, it's a matter of having a dialogue. But I do not, I think historically nuclear has been insular, inward looking, patronising, and I don't think it has helped itself. But the reality is that nuclear technology designed and operated sensibly can be safe. And that's been proven in many countries and many, many plants over many, many years. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. If ever we needed reminding, uh, Russia's war in Ukraine has shown the geopolitical significance of energy and how geopolitics affects it. Now, one of the things that does concern me about uh, new nuclear in this country is how relaxed the government has seemed to be in recent years about foreign investment and involvement with something that is so critical to national security. Now, Part of the issue is surely that by taking so long to build new nuclear, our domestic skills base has deteriorated. In your view, to what extent does this and foreign involvement sort of matter? And if it is a problem, how can it best be ameliorated? Okay, yeah, I think that's a really good point. Um, there is this thing that people worry about called the energy trilemma, which is basically we want secure energy supplies, we want low carbon energy supplies, and we want cheap energy supplies. And the focus moves around between those three prongs of this trilemma. And 
for quite a long time, the focus was, I think, on bringing in foreign capital, bringing in foreign companies to provide the, the plants, being a cost-effective way of, of, of doing this. And I think the focus has now changed, and we are much more conscious about the need for security of supply. And that means being able to do more ourselves. And one gets the, the sense that, that the tone is changing in government and there is more awareness of that and more focus on it. And we still have some really very good assets in the UK, particularly on things like nuclear fuel. And that's a capability relatively few other countries have. Uh, we can't do reactors ourselves anymore, but we have there are reliable partners out there who can do reactors for us. So we're not in a bad place, but it needs commitment, it needs investment, and it needs clarity because these things are so long-term. You don't invest if you think that in two years' time everything's going to change. When you talk about reliable foreign partners, presumably this is the case that you know we're very reliant on France and EDF uh, in a way that perhaps we wouldn't want to be on China. Is that is that the case behind it, you know, like when Liz Truss was asked Emmanuel Macron, friend or foe, and said the jury's out, uh, it was a, a kind of ridiculous thing to say, but uh, he's certainly more friend than Xi Jinping in the current environment. Yeah, I think so. Uh, at one level, you could you could try and be France, which has got the ability to do all this stuff itself and doesn't need anyone else. And that's really one end of the spectrum. The other end of the spectrum is to say, well, we'll will just go out to the market and the market will provide. And, I mean, we've been somewhere in the middle. And I think we maybe feel in some areas we've been a bit too far towards the, the market will provide. And there are some critical things like fuel enrichment, for example, where Russia actually plays a really very substantial role and it will be quite a challenge to replace Something that I've read about occasionally in the news in terms of our domestic nuclear industry and what could happen going forward is this idea of the small modular reactors or SMRs uh, being made by Rolls-Royce. Uh -huh. uh, and what are these? Are they something that we can be optimistic about? Or is it like how I feel every six months I read a story about people considering uh, lithium production in Cornwall and six months again, I read the same story and it doesn't actually seem to happen. One of the weird things about conventional nuclear power with big reactors like um, Hinkley C is that because they're so big and so expensive and take so long to build, the majority of the cost of the electricity that they generate is actually related to the cost of the money you've had to borrow to build the thing in the first place. Um, it can be as high as you know, two thirds of the total cost of the electricity is just the cost of building the plant. And that's why delays are so such financial killers, because you're ticking up interest on these billions of pounds for longer than you want. One of the great things about SMRs is they're small, so they're, they can be built more quickly. They're modular, so actually you don't build them in a field, you, you build them in a factory, you truck them out, you transport them to site in components, and Rolls-Royce would actually build them in a shelter, so you've completely weather-protected. So basically, it it's smaller, it's cheaper, it's quicker, and that's what Rolls-Royce would say would make these financially competitive. And certainly, I mean, Rolls-Royce has a very credible reactor offering, and it has a very credible team, 
working to deliver it. So, so yeah, I, I'm really quite a fan of SMRs. They, they, they offer a lot of opportunity that conventional nuclear doesn't. And when you say small, sorry, just to give us a sense of scale, like what's the, what's the scale of Hinkley C and what's the scale of an SMR? Okay, yeah, well, the Rolls-Royce one is not really that small. Um, it's about 40% of the power output of a Hinkley C, so it's still a pretty substantial plant. But there are other ideas and designs out there which are much, much smaller, um, really down to something you could almost, you know, stick almost stick on a football pitch. Let's look forward to 2050, the time where that government target is in place for. Uh, what sort of energy mix in this country would you like to see, or would you think would suit us at that time? For me, net zero is actually such a huge challenge. I don't think we really understand just how far-reaching it is. No natural gas coming into our houses, no petrol, no diesel, no Jet A1. You know, huge, huge changes. And that has massive implications for our infrastructure and what we do. And I think the only way we are actually going to hit net zero is to back everything nuclear in its different flavors wind solar there isn't a single technology that's going to solve this problem for us we need to try it all and pursue it all seriously and finally uh, perhaps looking on a longer time scale or i don't know you tell me what is nuclear fusion that seems like something that people have constantly said is 20 years away for the last 70 or 80 years. Yeah, I mean fusion is is a is again a nuclear exploiting a nuclear reaction, but whereas conventional nuclear energy breaks heavy atoms of uranium apart, nuclear fusion sticks very light atoms together and generates heat that way. The technology is is very very demanding um, and that's been part of the problem that getting a working fusion reactor has been difficult. It is interesting that the focus has shifted now from, if you like, doing clever physics experiments to much more how would you actually generate power. There is a, pro a project called STEP, uh, which is going to be cited in Nottinghamshire. And um, that is all about really trying to build the first demonstration of fusion producing useful power. So Fusion is evolving, it's developing, um, and it's it's out there somewhere. And potentially the paybacks from Fusion are so huge, you absolutely shouldn't walk away from it just because it's a long way off. Well, Francis, I look forward to meeting you in person in the energy abundant and clean future. Francis, thank you very much for joining me in the bunker. It's been a pleasure. And listeners, thank you for joining us. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition. And if you enjoy the podcast, remember you can support us on Patreon from just £3 a month. You'll be supporting us to make shows like The Bunker, Oh God, What Now? and the new series of Arthur Snell's Doomsday Watch. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com.
The Bunker was presented by Ahir Shah. Audio production is from me, Robin Lieburn, and the producers are Jelena Sofronevich and Jacob Archbold, with assistant production from Kasia Tomashevich. Lead producer is Jacob Jarvis, group editor is Andrew Harrison, and our theme tune is by Kenny Dickinson. The Bunker is a Podmasters production.